Are you looking to build your church's group ministry? Get the training and resources you need with All Access, a new plan from the Small Group Network. I'm James Browning with the Small Group Network. For $49 a month or just $4.90 a year, you get All Access to courses, workshops, coaching, and more. Plus, half off all of our in-person events, including The Lobby and Accelerate. And the best part is, All Access is a church-wide license. That means every staff member, every volunteer, and every leader at your church is included for that same price. Head over to smallgroupnetwork.com slash allaccess to learn more and compare plans. All Access is your community unlocked. Welcome to Leadership Journey, part of the Group Talk Network of Podcasts. Join Bill Search as he walks you through biblical Christian leadership, gives you keys to personal growth and development, as well as dynamics of leading others that honors God. Open your heart and mind and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search. Well, welcome back to the Leadership Journey. I'm your host, Bill Search, and uh, it is my privilege to invite uh, one of my longest surviving friends to the podcast today, Chad Allen. Chad, uh... Chad and I have known each other for, I think, at least uh, or close to 20 years, both really at the beginning of our careers, more or less. And uh, just, Chad, for those who are tuning in right now, we're talking Mm -hmm. about how to write and publish a book. Why should people listen to you? Tell us a little bit about your experience in the whole world of books. Well, first, thank you. First, like, I just have to say, you know, you talk about your longest surviving friend as if you're, our friendship is something to survive. But you, you, just knowing you over the years and your interest in history and working with you on simple small groups, I mean, it's it's been nothing but a joy. So, and listeners don't Here it is, know, by the way, simple small hey, groups. Hey, Remember this one? There it is, Chad. Hey, that cover holds hey, up. That cover That's still a nice it cover. It really does. You know, yeah. it does. Yeah. You remember, yeah. I did have to ask for the second cup. Do you remember that? There's a book <laughs> on small groups. And the first picture was one cup. And I said, it's a small group, not an individual devotional. You remember that? <laughs> Good call. Just Good for those call. tuning in, Chad was my acquisition editor at Baker. And he's the first guy in the industry I got to know. And I published with Baker because... Chad. So, all right, Chad, tell us more. <laughs> Instead of promoting yeah. simple small groups, tell us more about your experience in the world of books. Yeah. So yeah, let's so see. Let's I mean, see. you could tell the story, tell the story probably, probably 50 different ways, but, ways, but the, the long story long short, story I short, ended up I with a career in the traditional publishing industry that lasted about 20 years, spent 16 years at uh, Baker, the last seven of which is editorial director for the Baker Books Division. All that means is my job was to review projects, recommend them for publication or not, and then eventually I had a team of folks who were doing that with me. So, um, so uh, back um, in, um, uh, I think it was, in, uh, 2012. it was 2012, has it been 10 years already? I'm not sure. Uh, I started blogging. Uh, I started um, blogging. The fact is when you work, and you know this, is, Bill, when you work, when you work you know in the traditional book publishing traditional industry book publishing as an acquisitions industry, editor, you say no a lot more than you say yes. And it started to bother me. And I, I thought, you know, I have some things to say that I think could be helpful. I'd like to say yes to writers more often. I did that with my blog. Yes, you can do this. Yes, you can improve your writing skills. You can grow a platform. You can develop a great book concept. You can get 
50,000 words out of you. You can do it. And so I started blogging and that eventually led to uh, products. And then that went so well that I decided four years ago, um, let's see, it's four years ago coming up like April one is like four years to the day. Um, so we're recording this in, in late March uh, it will be four years soon to the day. And, uh, I just started working with writers, serving writers, uh, started with a course called book proposal Academy, uh, started doing some one-on-one coaching. Uh, and now my main, um, the main way I do it is through a, a membership community called book camp. And, uh, I just love helping writers get their books into the world. So there's a bit about my background. I hope that's helpful. How, while while we're on the subject, how does you, you mentioned your blog? What just give us the web address for sure. that right now? We'll Chad put it in the show R. notes Allen. too, in case somebody Chad is not writing R. it. Sure, sure. ChadRAllen.com. Sure, sure. ChadRAllen.com. Okay, Chad R Allen A L L E N. dot com. Dot com. Yep. Right. You got it. Yep. Very good. Well, you know, on this, uh, you, I can think of no one finer uh, to talk about this with because my first book. Uh, happened really because of your coaching. You were the acquisition editor. In fact, I don't know if you remember this conversation, but the first chapter, the introduction chapter I sent you, you sent back, and there, I swear there was more red on it than the black. The red represented all the editorial suggestions. And I don't know if you remember this. I called you up and I'm like, dude, do you regret it? I'm barely literate, evidently. And you're like, no, no, it's fine. No, it's good. And I, yeah. and I told my wife, I'm like, this guy regrets it. I'm causing him to drink or something. And uh, so I, I learned a ton about the process of writing. I developed thicker skin. And I also, Simple Small Groups is a much better book because uh, you were part of that process with me. But I want to really talk about two aspects of writing or two aspects of, of books. There's um, there's the writing and then there's the publishing. And so we'll go after the writing first because that seems to make sense in the logical flow of things. But when I talk to people, and I'm sure this is true with you as well, that tell me uh, they really dream someday of writing a book, there's two types of people. There's the type of person who hasn't written a thing yet. They just have a book inside them, or so they think. And then there's the other person who has dabbled a little bit. So maybe mm -hmm. they've sketched out uh, possible uh, chapter headings, or maybe they've even written an introduction or a first chapter. Maybe they've even written an ugly first draft, I think is what mm -hmm. Brene calls it. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, um, but the, with that in mind, let's talk about the first type of writer first. The, what advice do you offer the person who feels like they have a book inside them? They haven't really started. So mm -hmm. uh, where should they start? What do you recommend? Yeah, I think a great place to start is just, just some awareness. Like, take a second. Your book is your potential book, and you are worth taking a few seconds to go, okay, what, what really is my state of mind about this book? Um, you know, one way of answering that question is to say, um, I really want to do it, but not right now. Or... Uh, I really want to do it. Like time's limited. I want to, I really want to do this. And now is the time. Um, another possibility is, eh, I've thought about it, but I'm actually, that's not my, that's not my jam. I'm not interested. So there's multiple ways of answering the question, but what, what happens is what I would invite viewers, listeners to do is, is 
to move from a place of passivity about your book to a place of, of decision, you know, make a decision, whether it could, your decision could be, uh, this isn't the right time, but I'm going to, I'm going to put something on my calendar to take this up again in, you know, six months from now, a year from now, whatever. That's, that's one way of being active about it. Another uh, way you could decide is every Wednesday morning, I'm going to go to the coffee shop at 6 a.m. and just journal about the possibility of writing a book. Another would be, you know what? I'm in. I'm going to write 500 words a day until I finish my ugly first draft. So that would be the first thing. First of all, just take a second to be aware of your relationship with this book that may or may not be, you know, become aware of that and then make a decision uh, uh, of what you're going to do about it. That would be, those would be the first steps I would point to. That's really, I love that. Make an appointment, make a date with yourself. Mm -hmm. I can do that. I can, I can, yeah. I could mark out, at least I'm calling my own bluff, right? I mean, if I say, okay, every, every Wednesday at seven 30, I'm going to go over to the coffee shop and for an hour journal. And then on that first Wednesday, I'm like, man, I'd rather sleep in. Then maybe I dream of being an author, kind of like I dream of being a fighter pilot, you know, good in the right. fantasy, but it, but I like that. That is something that's, that's doable is to, to mark out that time. Or I, I've done that before as well. I, I journal an idea of a book and then I just let it percolate and sit in a journal somewhere. And there are many times I have gone back and thought, that's garbage. I wouldn't even want to write that. But at the time I was in the mood and it just takes so much out of you to write something. You got to enjoy what you're putting on paper, right? So yeah. right, what about the person who maybe they've even, um, got that first, uh, that ugly first draft out, or they've, or they've, uh, outlined a, a chapter, some chapter headings. And they think, I think I might have something here. How do they take it to their next level? Yeah. So, um, I would encourage that writer to get plugged in to some kind of a community. Um, you know, um, look, it's, it's kind of like driving a car. You wouldn't just get into a car without any experience and start driving. That would be very dangerous. The whole world of, of publishing a book, it, I mean, it's a thing. It's, it's, this, it's this industry that's out there. And I think it's really beneficial to join a community or get a coach so that somebody can kind of help you through the steps. Um, because you know, it's one thing to write a book. It's another thing to write a good book. It's one thing to launch a book. It's another thing to actually sell a significant number of copies that made it feel worthwhile in the first place. So, I mean, all of that is kind of what, what I think you should consider. If you've gone so far as to map out the chapter structure or to, or to finish an ugly first draft, you owe it to yourself to get plugged into a community or with a coach to help you move forward in as wise way as possible. This is clearly important to you. So I would say, take that next step, get plugged in somewhere. You know, uh, this is, um, you know, connected to this. Uh, I've heard different people say you need an agent, a literary mm -hmm. agent. Is there a role that a literary agent plays in all of this that, uh, someone should seek out? And if they are, what are they looking for? 
Sure. Yeah. So agents represent authors, um, you know, and help them try to pitch their book to publishers and land a book deal. That's the essential function of an agent. Now in the process, they might do several other things, but that's the essential function of a, of a literary agent. They get paid uh, a percentage. Usually it's 15% of an author's uh, advance and royalties. Um, so they don't get paid unless they land a book deal, which is to say they're not going to, they're not going to decide to represent you unless they're pretty sure they can land a book deal for you. Um, so the way publishing is traditional publishing. Now we're not talking about self-publishing. We're talking about traditional publishing, conventional publishing. Sometimes people call it, um, you know, uh, there are many publishers out there, typically the larger ones that do not accept unsolicited manuscripts or unsolicited book proposals. So in that case, you need an agent just to get a hearing. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about how agents work and, um, you know, if, if you want so to go if someone those, out there, cause there's all kind, there's, I'm sorry to cut you off. There, there's, uh, there's all kinds of different organizations out there. People will, will offer to represent. So if an, if someone says I'm a literary agent, pay me a thousand dollars and I'll get you a book deal. That may not be a legitimate agent. Right. If I hear what you're saying. That's right. Yeah. I would be really, really uh, wary of an agent who charges you any sort of upfront uh, fee. I, I would say the best way to identify good fit agents is to look at books, the more recently published, the better, that are similar to the book that you want to write in one way or another, um, and do some research on those books and who the agents are. Sometimes you can find it just in the acknowledgments section. Sometimes you can find it on the author's website. Um, but that's a great, a great way to start in terms of both identifying good fit publishers and good fit agents is with books that are similar to the one you're writing. Um, that, you know, again, the more recently published, the better. So there's a, I like the, the just for people to understand, there's, there's a, a writing coach, literary coach, uh, that's mm -hmm. a service you provide, uh, mm -hmm. where you pull together authors. Um, I've even met, uh, one of the guys that graduated from your program. He, oh. he and I've uh, become friends in the process a little bit. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so a community of people or a coach that, and in many ways I can, I can advocate for your services cause you coached me along in my first book. And then there's the literary agent that says, if you're going to go down a conventional or a traditional publishing route, you might need somebody. And uh, finding that person might be a bit of a, a trick. You have to convince them to represent you. And right. so some of them will be looking at bottom lines. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, staying with the theme of writing in general, you recently uh, wrote about the sort of the, the myth of the hermit writer. And uh -huh. uh, it, it struck me that there's a lot of myths and misconceptions in writing out there that uh, maybe you have a few of these that you want to share. But uh, do I need to take a month off get a cabin in the woods and sit down and write my great American novel. I mean, is that what I need to do? Cause it does kind of, you know, that's what we see in the movies. Anyhow, I think funny farm or one of those Chevy chase movies did that. If I, I don't think he wrote the book though. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think this is one of those, um, it's not an either, or it can be a both. And I mean, I, the vast majority of writers I work with, 
are not, this is not their full-time thing. So they are fitting it into the margins. They are figuring it out. And if, and if it's important enough to you, you'll figure it out. Uh, how to, how to, what's your, what's your process, you know, and, and one process does not fit all. But part of your process may very well be to take a writing retreat or multiple writing retreats. It is one of the main ways that I've seen writers uh, get massive momentum going, make major progress, is to just get away, not necessarily for a full month, but maybe a long weekend, um, and uh, go to, I've talked to writers who go to monasteries, I talked to writers who book an Airbnb or a friend's lake, lakeside cabin or something, and, uh, and they go off and they write. Um, so here's the thing, like, um, often writers don't think their, their book is worth the investment of time, energy, and money that it takes to, to take a retreat. Um, and that's actually the, the, the problem is, is that sense of worthlessness or that sense of I'm not, you know, this book isn't worth that. Well, it is. It is worth that. Um, you know, you only live one life. You, you likely have a book inside you, if you're listening to this, um, that can, can have an impact and leave a legacy. So I would encourage you, the first step is scheduling it. You know, even if it's just two days, the first step is getting it on the calendar. And uh, you'd be surprised what you can get done in a couple of days. You know, I, I love that idea that m most of the time I have felt this at different times when I've worked on different projects is I get partway into it or I start to talk myself out of it. I go, someone's already written this. It's already been done or this isn't going to be that good. And I really appreciate you encouraging and inspiring and challenging us to think about this is important. This is an extension of us that I sometimes think that, you know, a century from now, if the Lord should tarry and uh, my great great grandkids who've never met me have access to old great great grandpa's books, they'll be able to know something about me. You know, I have I have various family members who love that ancestry stuff, and I have zero interest in ancestry because I just it's just data points, it's names and births and deaths, and it's not that I'm not grateful that I'm here. It's that that doesn't mean that they were decent people. What if what if great great grandpa was a scumbag? You don't know. What if yeah. he was a racist, bitter jerk? You know, yeah, just to hang right. up his picture on the wall. No, no, thank you. I just don't. Yeah. If I don't know the person, no thanks. But if I have a book that they wrote that shares maybe their story of faith or something that was uh, a passion of theirs, I would treasure that as, mm. as a remarkable piece of family history. That to me, because you're knowing the person then. So, you know, even if it's just for posterity's sake, uh, there's, there's a value in that. And so, well, let's uh, turn a corner and talk about the, the actual publishing side. We could talk more about writing, but I know that there's probably a bunch of people turning in, tuning in going, okay, get to the part where I get my book published, get to that part, get to that part. So, um, you worked with a notable Christian publishers. You mentioned Baker. It's one of the biggest, uh, Christian publishing companies in the world. And, uh, and, um, so you did that for a number of years. You worked with a number of authors. Now you work with authors still. Um, so let's talk about you. We mentioned before the difference between traditional or conventional publishing and self-publishing. And, uh, 
and what you know what are the what are those distinctives when when is one called for over the other and uh, I just think back in the early days of self-publishing it was panned as complete like waste mm -hmm. of time by mm -hmm. some and dismissed and thanks to people like Brene Brown whose first book was self-published and mm -hmm. she's she's a, a poster child of someone who believed so passionately about their work it was self-published and no one would laugh at her today so right. uh, so talk about the distinctives when should someone just go the traditional route and when is there a place where you just go I'm gonna get self-published yeah well, I'll start by saying I'm a big fan of all the different models. And between self-publishing and traditional publishing, there's this whole world of hybrid publishing where you pay people to help you get, get published. Um, so I'm a big fan of all the different models. I think it's, you know, a modern, not a miracle, but a modern marvel that if you and I decided to, Bill, we could publish a book before dinner tonight. You know what I mean? I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. Let, let's just call it what it is, because that was not the case. It wouldn't be a good book. It wouldn't be a great book <laughs> no, if we published wouldn't. it before dinner today. But we could do it. But You're right about that. Yes. We could. Right. And that points to that points to the problem of how accessible publishing is. There's a lot of crappy books out there. And so, um, so there, there, you know, there's no substitute for honing your skills, building an audience, and so on. But when it comes to self versus traditional publishing, I think there are some really big advantages to the different models that are worth considering, and some disadvantages for each model that are also worth considering. For self-publishing, to, to our earlier point here, the speed to market can be a lot quicker than with traditional publishing. So if, if the thing you value is getting this book out there quickly, and there are really good reasons to get a book out there quickly, um, that if, then if that's what you value above all, then you should probably self-publish. If, uh, if you want complete control over title, cover, editorial content, um, and, and all the rest of it, then again, you should probably consider self-publishing. Um, uh, if you, if your main reason for, for publishing a book isn't necessarily, um, the, you know, having a commercial product in and of itself, but it's to get people to sign on to your email list, to build a business, say, then again, self-publishing is a great thing to consider. Um, if on the other hand, you, you don't mind waiting a little while for your book to come to market because you would value the process of improving it. If you if you would value also the input of professionals who've been doing this for a while, uh, that can help you make your book the best it can be. Then traditional publishing is is worth considering. If you want a shot at the bestseller lists, traditional publishing is worth considering. If you want the best distribution possible, uh, again, traditional publishing is uh, definitely something to, to consider. So, uh, so kind of pros and cons, it, it just all depends on your goals. So figure out what your goals are, what do you want most out of this, and then pursue the route that, that works best for you. One more thing on this, the, the advice I give to writers a lot, if they're thinking about traditional publishing but they're just not sure, what I tell them is, go ahead and pursue traditional publishing if that's what you really want. And if it works out, great. If not, self-publishing is a great fallback. Um, and you can use your self-published book to better position yourself to go after a book deal the next time. Uh, so that's another route to go.
Yeah, you know, that's uh, it, back 20 years ago when people would just take a thing over to Kinko's or whatever it was, photocopy it, have it perfect bound, make it kind of look like a book. You could always tell, yeah, mm -hmm. this was done self-published. There's so much good quality in the covers of things. Our, our church recently got permission to reprint an old Leslie Newbigin book that Erdman's had printed back in the 70s. And uh, it was a wonderful book on pastoring, but it's out of print. And I got permission from the foundation, family foundation to reprint it. So I had our people reformat it and it looks like a million bucks. Now I cannot sell it for even a dollar because that's a breach of the contract, but it's a uh -huh. beautiful looking book. Looks way better than what Erdman's did in the late seventies. And it's essentially a variation of self-publishing, although uh, yeah. it's not our work. And so it looks so good. So to your point, when you need something, there might be a, a reason to do that. It may be because you're, let's say, I'm, let's say a pastor's tuning in here and they really want a book out for the fall to tie in with a campaign and they're able to put the content together. No traditional publisher is going to be able to take a manuscript finished today and bring it to market by August, September. That's right. just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, they, I don't, they might do that for Rick Warren, maybe, but I don't even know if they could do it for Rick. So yeah. they'd try that's for Rick, great, but they're example. not going to try for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great example. Um, all right. So let me ask this though, um, because if someone is thinking of, they, they feel like they've got a book burning inside of them, you have been in this industry long enough I think you could speak into this. You've said yes to authors and you've said no to authors. What are publishers looking for? If someone wants to go down the conventional route, what is somebody looking for? And along with it, are there any subjects that are just completely overdone? And if someone goes, I'd like to write on that, you would just advise them, don't. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so I, I talk about the three C's of publishing success. It's it's it sounds a little formulaic, but I think it I think it holds up. The three C's are concept, crowd, and craft. C R A F T. Um, concept is does this book meet a real need? Real people really have, and this isn't about the problem you think they have. This is about the problem they think they have. Um, so if you take simple small groups, for example. I mean, the problem that book solves is how on earth do I do I run a small group well, right? Um, uh, so that's a real problem that real people have. So um, so that's concept. Uh, crowd is, is is this is sometimes called platform. This is your audience, and when it comes to traditional publishing especially nonfiction, the number one reason publishers turn books down is too small a platform. The author is not able to demonstrate to the publisher their ability to help the publisher sell books. And that is really key. And I know people listening to this are going, wait a minute, my job is to write a great book. Isn't it the publisher's job to market it? Well, the reality is as soon as you send a book proposal into a book publisher, you're now in competition with other writers because publishers can only publish so many books, right? And those other writers, some of them have an audience. So, um, so that's the bad news. The good news is it's never been easier, cheaper, uh, simpler to, to build an audience with digital media. It's incredible what you can do with, uh, with, you know, 
almost uh, an almost free website and uh, and an email list. So uh, so that's that's crowd. And then craft is just how good a writer you are, how good the the writing is in your proposal in your manuscript. Um, so con so what are publishers looking for? Concept, crowd, and craft. If you have those three things, then you have the ingredients to publishing success. In terms of overdone subjects, you know, I asked a very similar question uh, to Jeff Goins a while back. My, my question wasn't so much about books, uh, but about my blogging space and the space where I was thinking about starting a business. I said, you know, there's a lot of bloggers who talk about writing does the world really need one more? And his response back to me was really helpful. He said, look at late night talk shows. At the time, there was Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon. You know, there's, there's a bunch of them. Uh, and still, there still is. Um, and then there's the ones on like HBO. And there, there are all these different, Stephen Colbert, we have to mention. There are all these different late night talk. Why do they all have an audience? Well, because they all have their own voice. They're all basically doing the same thing. They do a monologue and some interviews, right? Maybe some sketches. But they all put their own spin on it, and that gives them all their own unique audience. And I would say that about uh, just about any topic you throw out there. If you're passionate about it, um, there's probably the, the way you would tackle that topic is going to be different from how somebody else does it, and that makes it valuable. So that's what I would say there. You know, that's it was such a good insight because uh, recently kind of the new one of the new hot properties in spiritual formation is John Mark Comer, right? Oh, yeah. Who wrote Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and mm -hmm. uh, a handful of other books, but he's channeling his inner Dallas Willard. So one could argue if I was John Mark Comer, and I don't know him, but I would imagine at some point John Mark Comer said, well, they already have Dallas Willard. They already have Richard Foster. Do I really need to write on this stuff? And if someone needs a more modern expression of those guys, they can read any number of books written by John Ortberg, who also sure. talks a great deal about spiritual formation at kind of the, the lay level. And yet, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you, if you watch any of John Mark Comer's videos, if you read any of his stuff, it's his own voice. So it's not like I have watched him and thought, boy, I'd never heard of that before. I'd never thought of that before. It's just a different angle. It's a different yeah. uh, inspiration in it. So I think that's a great encouragement for the person who goes, do we need one more book on and fill in the blank? I mean, there might be some technical topics that uh, struggle to get much lift, but uh, breaking, say, say those three C's again. What were they again? Concept, crowd, and craft. So that concept that is just that burning thing, that uh, that crowd that you've built through your social media platforms or mm -hmm. uh, serving in a particular community, mm -hmm. and then just do what you do real well, you know, yeah. good stewarding right. of the resources that God's right. given you. Right. So exactly. that's that's really helpful, I think, for people, and that's part of what you do in your your. Uh, 
uh, boot camp for uh, learning how to write and so forth. I imagine you go through that stuff. I'm, you're shaking Absolutely. your head. So yep. Yep. I guess right. Well, um, what are on that note? So we looked at kind of the negative of the overdone, and this I'm sure is related to what you just said, but what are, are there any hot subjects right now that you've noticed in the publishing world? You're like, man, it just seems like whoever is writing on this, or these are the things that people seem to get really pumped up about. Because uh, let me and just let me get my pen to write these down because I, I need yeah. some suggestions of hot things to write about. Well, here's the thing: like, of course, there there are always hot hot topics, um, but it's so individual. I think, I think, you know, the hottest topic is the one where you've done enough work serving an audience to recognize. Um, that this book is one that's going to serve this audience, or at least it's worth trying. And so you, the, the most successful books I've been a part of have been books that were the natural extension of the work that a writer had been doing to serve an audience for a while, you know? So the, the vision that I'm casting for writers is start serving your audience. They need you to lead them, to, to quote a subtitle from a Seth Godin book. They need you to lead them. So start serving. There's no barriers to entry anymore. You can get a blog going today. You can start serving your audience today. Start doing that. And then as you do that, you'll learn more and more what, what this, this audience needs. And then you write a book uh, for that audience to help them move forward that becomes the hot topic. You know, yes, you're going to, in that process, you're going to have to develop a title that works really well, a look for the cover, and all of that's important, but way more important than those things is, do you have an audience? Do you, have you been serving them long enough to know what they need? And then do you have a book idea that will, will serve them? So that would be my encouragement. You know, I think that's, that is so helpful, Chad, because that frees us up from chasing the hot topic. Mm. We have to write on what we are passionate about. Yes. So if, if someone were to, you know, somehow get the short list of, of very exciting topics, but that topic is either outside of your area of expertise or your passion area, then maybe stay away from that. The flip of it is, the flip of it. Is, oh, go ahead. You you were going to say something. Well, just a, just a quote on along those lines from Frederick Beekner. You've probably heard this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So both of those are important. Your deep gladness, what you're passionate about, and the world's deep hunger. So if you're looking for a hot topic, find the intersection of those two things, and that's your sweet spot. You know that. Um, that that just sort of it connects with that. Uh, there are some people, famous authors, that when a new book comes out on a particular topic, mm. suddenly make their contribution on that topic. But in their situation, they already have the craft of writing, and they already have that community of people. So they may they may not be interested in writing a book on a particular subject, but they can because they're just that good at writing. And I think of some of the authors that have annual books come out, they might look around and go, well, that topic has been written by this person and this person. I'll make my contribution to it as well. So, but that's a different animal than the average person. All right, you mentioned Frederick Beekner there. 
And uh, one of the things I made a commitment to myself like four years ago is that I wasn't no, I was no longer going to read crummy writers. Uh, and I shouldn't, I won't name any names of who I think is crummy writer, but that I was really going to dedicate myself to good writers. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I went through an entire year that I only read dead authors. Are there any writers out there that you go, uh, if you want to write and you want to improve your writing, here's some people to read. And I don't mean people who've written about the art of writing. I'm just saying this is a type of person that if you read enough of them, they're going to kind of, they're going to help elevate your vocabulary. They're going to introduce yeah. new cadence to the way you you mentally process things. Who are some of your favorite authors besides me in my book, Simple Small Groups? Yes, right. Um, well, I mean, I assume you you bring this up because Frederick Buechner is incredible, right? Absolutely. Yeah. he's He's got to be on that list, right? C.S. Yes. We'll just say C.S. Lewis is on that list. Eugene Peterson's on that list. And Frederick Buechner's on that list. Who else goes on that list? Uh, I really like Wendell Berry also. Um have you read any Wendell Berry, Bill? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's great. how can yeah. you not love that writer? Yeah. Um, a, a poet that I'm into lately is David White. He's, he's also written, written, you know, prose. But uh, David White, W-H-Y-T-E. Um, and he regularly writes poetry. He actually does host retreats and things. I, I really love his stuff. Um, Donald Miller, I think is, is uh, a living writer who has, he's, he's got the craft. He's got the craft. It's beautiful. Um, writing. I kind of hate him books. because it yeah, is beautiful. It just yeah. seems to flow out of him. And it does. I mean, it really, if, you know, blue like jazz was most people's gateway into Donald Miller and, uh, he just has a way of drawing yeah. you in. Have you, have you read, He's, he's a, you're in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's a Calvin College English professor. He writes for kids. Gary D. Schmidt. Are you familiar with Gary I've D. Schmidt? I've heard of him, but I haven't, I don't, I can't say I've read much of him. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called Wednesday Wars. He's, a, he's an award winner. And okay. Gary's ability to emotionally connect with you. He can write a story that can make you cussing mad and sobbing sad. And it, mm. now part of this is an extension of Gary's life. He lost uh, his own wife uh, to cancer. Uh, and so I think some of it is, is he's, he brings a lot of emotion to bear. He's a, he's a Christian man, but his writing is, is for young adults, but he is an absolute beautiful writer. I mean, his, mm. if you don't, I mean, and it's for young adults. So it reminds me a little bit of C.S. Lewis in that you can churn through one of his books pretty quick. Uh, mm -hmm. You just make sure you have Kleenex with you. Okay. All right. Who's on, who else? I've given, I've given my, I'm sorry. I keep recommending authors and I'm not letting Sorry. you recommend authors. Well, I do read a lot of books for writers and that may be, that may be helpful to, to listeners. Um, so I just finished a book called Writing Tools. I'm looking behind me because I think I have it over here. Uh, here it is. Let me get it real quick. This is, this uh, is a good addition for us to think about is books that actually help us at the craft. So tell us the name of that book. This is called Writing Tools by Roy Peter Clark. The subtitle is 55 Essential Strategies for Every Writer. 
short chapters, really practical. Um, you know, with 55 chapters, you can kind of, you kind of get the idea, oh yeah, he's going to be handing out one tool after another. And he does, and it's very readable, very applicable, um, and kind of provides quick wins, you know? Uh, so that's what I would say is, uh, writing, this is just one I finished. I love, um, so people have heard about Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird, William Zenser's, uh, On Writing Well. My favorite book for writers, and also a great writer, just in his own right, is Stephen Pressfield's, um, uh, The War of Art, uh, Stephen King, talk about a great writer. Stephen King is a great writer. Uh, and he wrote a book called On Writing, uh, which is fantastic. Um, but Natalie Goldberg, more people should read Natalie Goldberg. Um, she wrote the book. Natalie Goldberg. The- okay, who? What, what would be a Natalie Goldberg? But what's the first one we ought to read? Natalie Goldberg. Right. Writing down the bones, writing down the bones. She talks about writing as almost like a meditative, uh, spiritual exercise. Now, she doesn't come from the Christian tradition, but she's just, she has such a great, great voice. She's like the the aunt that you could tell anything, you know? <laughs> she's just awesome. I love her. I love her. And now I'm reading her book, Wild Mind. But the one to start with is called Writing Down the Bones. So there's a bunch of books. That's very helpful. I, I'm I'm a, a huge fan of Audible, and I enjoy having books read to me. Yeah, the, yeah. That forces me through, and uh, I, I've used that to really take on some of the authors that would be normally difficult for me to sit down and mm-hmm. and you know kind of slug through. And that's where, like I you know I mentioned, I went through a season where I'd only read dead authors. So I'd listen to Spurgeon or J.C. Ryle, or I went I went deep enough back. City of God uh, by Saint Augustine. I I, try, I decided I'm going to listen to that every year, so that each year along the way I understand just a little bit more. Because the first time through, obviously you're listening to a translation of sure. of uh, I think Augustine probably wrote that in Latin, if I'm not mistaken. So. I didn't attempt to read it in the original Latin, but the translation is from like a hundred years ago. So even in that process, I found it's improved. It's improved uh, my preaching as well as my writing to read a deeper, more challenging, whether that's taking it in via audible or reading it. Well, we could talk about books, but uh, right now people are like, get back to the part about me getting a book out. You mentioned uh, the community or a platform, and you gave some tips like get a website, start a blog. Any other um, tips on building a platform? Because you are right. Uh, Some of us are in certain situations. Either we serve in very large churches or we are in large denominations or have certain platforms because of our professions, but many people don't. And so where would they start if they're, if they're kind of trying to get, get a, out there to begin that process of building a, a vehicle, a means by which to get the information out that, hey, I've written a book and you might be interested. So what are some suggestions you might offer? I, I think in this, in our current moment, uh, the heart of any uh, effective writer platform is an email list. Uh, it's, it is the most effective tool, um, for communicating and nurturing your audience. Um, social media is important. Um, it's just not as important. I remember my favorite book on book marketing is Tim Grawl's book, Your First 1000 Copies. 
which by the way is on Audible, the, the first edition, not the, the second edition is really good and it's not on Audible yet. But, um, and he said, I was, I was uh, hosting a conversation with him and somebody asked, you know, hey, I'm just getting started as a writer. I'm not really on social media. Where should I focus my, my efforts? Should, should I focus on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or wh what should I do? And he said, until you have a thousand email addresses, don't even worry about social media. And I think that's good advice. Focus on your email list. And now people, people are immediately go, well, how on earth do I grow an email list? And it's really simple in the beginning. You start with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your former coworkers, and all you do is say, hey, Joe, hey, Sarah, hey, Bill, uh, I am starting, uh, I'm going to try to get a book into the world. I'm starting a group of people to, to update them on how it's going. And I'm going to provide some content that I hope is useful along the way. Do you want in? And your friends, your family, your coworkers, your they will say yes, just because they like you, you know, and those are those are really important people to have on your initial list, because those people will share your content, just because they like you, you know, they don't even have to like what you wrote as long as they <laughs> As long as they like you. It, it, they'll, they'll, now you do find out who doesn't like you. Hey, I'm starting this email list. Uh, I know you're my grandson and I'm real proud of you, but no, I don't want to be on your email list. Sorry, grandma. She doesn't, your grandma doesn't love you. And they're, of no, course you're absolutely are, right. Your family yeah. members will be like, even if they don't want to be on your list, they're like, okay, I'll be on yeah. your list. Yeah. And then they won't call, unsubscribe because you'll know. Yeah, exactly. You call the, we call these people, or some have called these folks, the eager sneezers, sneezing being a, a metaphor for sharing. These are the people who are eager to share your content because they just, they just want to help you because they know you and like you. And of course, there are other tactics along the way uh, that, for example, we, we would teach you inside Bootcamp. But that's a really good one to start with is just reaching out and then just don't make it complicated. Just make a list of email addresses. You can worry about an email service provider later, but that is, you know, if I had to say one place to focus your attention, it would be growing that email list and then serving that email list. Give them something. You know, I'm yep. on your email list. I get great emails from you. I, and I, I look through them, man. They're good. I, and I tell people, you are right. We're friends, been friends a long time. I'm on your list. And what do I do? Anybody who comes to me and says, I'd like to publish a book. I say, I know a guy get on his list. Maybe you want to be part of his, uh, honestly, I don't, I, I, that's where I, so I'm a example of your illustration. I guess I'm waiting for you to publish your book on writing. So okay. when's that All coming right. out, Chad? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, believe me, I have thoughts about that regularly. I need to become aware of my state of mind and make, make a plan, right? I need to take my own advice. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I totally understand. I, I'm just messing with you on that. So don't feel pressure to do that. All right. Let's talk about success in publishing. You mentioned it, you know, a would-be published author, and again, I'm speaking in the traditional terms or conventional terms there, um, they're competing against people 
uh, publishers are businesses. They have to they have to meet a bottom line. They employ people. They have to make money. They're not greedy jerks. Their their right. businesses operating as businesses, right? So mm-hmm. they don't have extra lines of revenue to support their charitable entre, uh, enterprise. They are a business. So what uh, what is success in uh, publishing? I, I very very few books are going to make it to a bestseller list. And I've heard all kinds of statistics thrown out, but I cannot find any data on this. Uh, I've heard people say that 95% of books don't even sell 3,000 copies. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know what's true and what's not true. There's a lot of partial information scattered around the World Wide Web on this. So what if I were a publisher and I'm Mm -hmm. dealing with a first author and I'm not fantasy living here. I, it's not, I'm not fantasizing about how many books they're going to publish. What would be success where I'd go, I want to publish another book with that person. Yeah, that's good. So it really depends. Uh, it's book by book, but, um, but basically a publisher is looking to recoup their investment and to make a profit. So, um, you need to sell as many books as it takes to do that. And the math actually isn't that hard. If we assume a book is $20, just to use a round number, and, you know, let's say you were paid a $10,000 advance against royalties. Um, you know, the publisher probably is only making $10 per book sold. So the bookstore gets the other 10. And let's say you're making a 20% royalty, which is, again, not, not outlandish. So it's $2, $2. The publisher is making $2 a book. So how many books do they need to sell to recoup $10,000. What would that be? 5,000, right? Uh, so you need to sell 5,000 books for them just to recoup their investment. Okay. So let's say you, you sold another 5,000. Well, now they're, they're way ahead of the game. And by the way, by now you're also receiving royalty checks. So there's an example. Uh, it's not that, it's not that hard to figure out the math. So, Obviously, a publisher success isn't break even; it's to make something. Right. So, um, and this might be a trade secret. So, if you can't tell us, that's okay. But is there a is there a percentage of books in the released book catalog every year that a publisher just breaks even on, and they don't see they either don't recoup their initial investment at all, or they just barely break even after a few years? What is there a percentage there that is standard, or again, is that a trade secret that you had no, to sign an NDA? I have a funny, I have a funny story about that. We we um, at Baker, and I assume other publishers have the same. We we had these meetings where we would look at a season's worth of books a year after release, and they were called. They used to be called. Um, Postmortems, postmortems, which we thought was so, optimistic. so, so you know, macabre uh, uh, and, and grisly a name. We decided to change it to uh, book performance review meetings. And then, of course, you know, because you're in an office, you have to come up with, an, uh, you know, a shorthand for it. So it became BPR, book performance review meetings. And they were, uh, they were so, sometimes they were so painful that I wanted to call them PBR meetings and bring Paps Blue Ribbon beer for everybody. <laughs> Everybody in the <laughs> but the answer no, to your you, no, question not every publisher is, could you do that. There's some dry publishers out there. I bet Moody yeah. Press would never have a PBR. I no, they know. wouldn't. And Baker didn't either, for the record. But um, but the the, the the point is, yes, um, it depends on the season. 
And, you know, as a publisher, we, we would look at a full season. So sometimes you have that one book that just took off and it kind of carries the whole season. Um, but there were, there were seasons where, you know, we had more, more, uh, books that didn't recoup than did. And, uh, those are painful meetings. Um, but you've got to look at it as a publisher. You've got to look, you got to try to learn something from, from the decisions you made, you know, because, when a publisher decides to publish a book, it's usually not one person's decision. It's a group of smart people who make that decision. And then for them to look a year later at how it went and learn together from, I, th- I just think that's a really important part of the whole trade of, of publishing. Well, I think that's very helpful because um, there's a misconception that once you get published, you know, your, your life is, uh, made in the shade. You're now a published author. And, uh, I'm, I'm one of those guys that is a published author, but I also have to have other employment to survive. So, uh, what, what, at what level of book sales do you have to hit where maybe you can quit your day job? Is there a, is there a volume number that's yeah. out there. That's a realistic, like you got to sell X number and then maybe, maybe writing is your full-time gig. What's that in your mind? Yeah. Yeah. So when can I quit my day job? Well, l- let's, let's just come up with a crazy number that we would need to just stop doing any other kind of work and just write. Let's say that, let's say that's a million dollars. Okay. Like let's, let's that sounds just good. I like that. I'd like that. I, I think how, I could, how, I think I, I could make know, a go of it. Some people listening are like, ah, a million's not enough. So you can, you can, we'll start with a million and then you could just, you could just multiply it by a factor of whatever you need. But, um, let's again, take $20 book. Um, you're getting, let's say you're getting a 20%, uh, royalty. So uh, publisher makes $10, you're getting $2 a book. So again, a million divided by two is 500,000 books. So if you, I mean, again, if you assume all of what I've given you there, it's a ballpark figure of how many books you need to sell to make a million dollars. There you go. Okay. Well, so I think you've just ruined the day for some people out there that were just dying. They thought if I get published, Uh I've told people through the years that if I added up all the hours I put into simple small groups and then all the payout, I might, I might be at the same level if I had gotten a part-time job at Target. You know, I mean, no, it's, it's better than that. But it's, you know, I, um, it doesn't. Uh, uh, it's, it's a book. You introduced you introduced me to a, a, a term for books like mine. You, you said something like it's a long tail, meaning. Uh-huh. Uh, did, did I remember? Is that correct? Is that the term? That's and a term that's out there. It, sure. Yeah. It, it's a term that basically it keeps getting published. And you get a little residual off of it. That makes yeah. the publisher happy, generally speaking. But it's sure. not a, it's not a big, wide boa constrictor tail. It's more like Reaper Cheap's tail before it got cut off. It's like that. If you get back to C.S. Lewis, that's a callback. If you don't know who Reaper Cheap is, get C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Darnie and read them all right now. Yes. All right. Voyage of the Dawn. Um, I, I have yeah. one more question, and then I'm going to ask you what I didn't ask that I should have asked. So here's my okay. last question for you. Um, uh, I've heard from publisher or from authors who tell me, in frustration, the publisher is not promoting my book. I finished my book. I wrote it. They got it printed, and they've done nothing with it. And yeah. uh, and uh, so, what would a author? 
what should an author expect for let's talk first time authors here i'm assuming john ortberg's not listening to this so he's not a first time author but let's say a first time author finally gets that book out what should they expect by way of support from a traditional publishing house what's that look like well i think the best publishers um and Look, the, the publisher that's best today may not be the best tomorrow. So it just depends on who, who the team is. So one, of, one piece of advice is, you know, get to know your team before you sign the contract and, and get a sense of how they're going to work with you before, before you sign. Because, um, you know, you can. You, you don't have to sign a book contract. Um, but I would say the best publishers will um, strategize with you on how to make the best possible use of your own platform and their ability, their channels, their publicity um, opportunities, et cetera. And that they'll, they'll, they'll set a strategy and they'll set a schedule for what's, what should happen when, you know, I'm working with a writer right now who is deciding when to do his cover reveal, you know, because it's, it's one more opportunity to sort of invite readers into the process so that they can be there, you know, that much more motivated to share about the book and feel like they're a part of this book. Um, and so, uh, so the publisher, this is just a really small example, but the publisher and the author are strategizing about that. Yeah. What, what does make sense in terms of when we reveal the cover? Cause that's a, that's an important moment in the life of a book. Um, so, so the best publishers will do that. The reality is um, a publisher has various levers that they can pull um, but, but the, 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 the number one cheerleader champion for your book has to be you, the author, um, you know, gone are the days when, and if they, if they ever existed, uh, gone are the days when all, all you had to do was write a book. Um, now fiction is a little different. Um, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, that, you know, there's a, you know, JK Rowling comes to mind, like you, you've written something that's so good, so enthralling that just the book takes on a life of its own. And this happens with nonfiction too. I'm thinking of, um, uh, Atomic Habits, uh, that book, you know, took off like crazy. And there are well, others. And memoirs. There's right. a few yes. memoirs out there sure. that educated comes to yes. mind. And, right. uh, uh, there's others as well that are just really are captivating of- stories. Right. But those are sort of the exceptions that prove the rule. The rule is that uh, books need a platform. They need, they need the author to promote, uh, you know, if they're going to reach the, the widest audience possible. So anyway, I hope that answers your question. No, that's, that's perfect. That really is, is that uh, it helps a would-be author understand that just getting published is part of the process and part of the journey of a book that's not mm-hmm. the end. It's not that right. I pass it off and I'm now done. And I remember the early days when Simple came out, uh, Baker had lined me up and I, I was at a big, big Christian gathering up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada in February. Uh, I wished I hadn't written the book, uh, being up in Calgary in February. 
I, I don't even know to this day how cold it was because they use Celsius in Canada, and that's witchcraft to me. I use Fahrenheit like God intended, the King James Bible speaks of and such. So, uh, but, and, and radio interviews, I remember that day. So that is really good advice is to sort of, this is also the difference between larger publishers, smaller publishers, the hybrid route. You can, you can use different groups that say, I don't do this. Recently, I talked with a friend who's published with a, a much smaller denominational publishing house, and he said that the publisher didn't even handle any of the um, quotes. Any quote he had to go get permission, if it was over a certain number of words, he had to go to the authors or the publishers of these books mm -hmm. and say, can I use this? And uh, I remember... When I wrote my book, I wanted to pull a quote from Joined Together with the Band by The Who. And you uh -huh. gently responded, oh, do you know a member of The Who? And I said, no, why, why would I need that? And you're like, well, if you're going to quote it, you're going to have to get permission from yeah. The Who. Yeah. So I yeah. pulled it out. Yeah. yeah. But, that's, but all that to say is some of those publishing companies handle some of the normal quotes, not if you're calling a mega rock band, but you know, right. if you are publishing with a traditional and some do not handle that. So it's just good to know going in. And I'm so glad to have you on the show because now people have a connection with you and I'm sure this is going to generate questions. And I imagine if people uh, want to dive a little deeper, they can certainly reach out and contact you Absolutely. on your yeah. site. And like I said, mm -hmm. we'll put your, uh, your website in the show notes as well. Um, what didn't I ask? Chad, that I should have asked. Is there any questions out there like, man, you missed it. You should have asked me this. Well, I mean, I feel like a lot of our discussion has been about how getting a book out there is hard um, and that there are these obstacles in your path. And um, I guess what I would want to go back to is what you were saying about like your great, great grandkids and being able to pass something down that not only impacts future generations, but current current readers too. I mean, everybody here listening to this is here because books have had an impact in your life, you know? And uh, we can probably all, I know I can think of, of books that changed my life, you know? Um, and your book has that potential. And I would just encourage listeners, viewers, like, focus on that. Focus on the change that your book can make happen in someone's life. That can motivate you to, to keep going uh, through the obstacles. And if you keep doing it, you know, if you keep writing those 250 words a day, if you go on that, on that writing retreat, if you, uh, if you join a community and start getting accountable to a process, one of these days, you're going to get a knock at the door and it's going to be a box of your books. And all those obstacles will seem like dust in the wind, you know, like it's all worth it when you actually have a book in the world instead of just collecting dust as an idea in your mind. Thank you for that last word. That is so good because uh, I feel that every time I order up a, a box for a conference I'm going to or something is there is some thrill uh, Simple Small Groups came out in 2008, 14 years ago. And I still, when I order up a box of them or when I hold it in my hands, I, I mean, it's just it floods with memories. It functions almost like a memoir. I rearranged 
so many of the stories, but uh, to to uh, conceal the the innocent or the guilty, uh, I'm usually the guilty that I'm concealing. But but when I even review it, I just I'm I come back to conversations you and I had. But for my kids, it is something that they can read and, and my grandkids someday and great grandkids. So that is such an important reminder that what we're doing here is we're having a conversation about what is an art of communication. And uh, mm. the Greeks had a word for it, logos. And of course, in scripture, in Greek, logos gets used of Christ. But the idea of expression that expression is one of the gifts God's given us. We have an ability to express. Uh, so far, no one's dug up anything a grizzly bear wrote. We stand alone of creation. Dolphins might make interesting sounds, but they, they don't communicate like people do. And so there is something about people. God's given us this uh, burning desire to express, to communicate. And so we should steward that well. So thanks for what you do, Chad, in the kingdom to help people do that, become better writers and equippers and all that. So I'm appreciative of you and my life. And I know that our listeners have enjoyed this conversation and I hope many reach out to you. So Chad, thanks for being on the leadership journey. So glad to have you today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Leadership Journey, part of the Group Talk Network of podcasts. If you like what you've heard, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more, make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com for more resources. Hi, it's James Browning again. I wanted to let you know that we have a big event coming up this July. We are combining our Align and Accelerate training workshops for small group point people just like you. Day one will feature Align, a training overview of small group ministry covering the big pictures and strategies of small group ministry, plus how to align it with your church's mission and vision. It's perfect for those new or returning to small group ministry. Days two and three are Accelerate, an intensive workshop that dives deep into small group strategies. You and your team will come out with a 12 to 18 month plan for your small groups. This workshop is perfect for churches who want to take their existing small group ministry to the next level. This event takes place at the Saddleback Rancho Retreat Center in beautiful San Juan Capistrano, California. Lodging and lunches are included. You have the flexibility of choosing to attend Align or Accelerate or get a discounted rate for attending both. Oh, and if you happen to be an All Access member, your whole team always gets 50% off. So we'll see you this July 11th through 13th at Align and Accelerate. For more information, Go to smallgroupnetwork.com slash conferences or check it out in the show notes.